When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If given the chance to do it all over again, Tawny Newsom is who I want to be. She's an amazing and hilarious actor, improviser, narrator, podcaster, super, super smart, creative in all things creative, disciplined, beautiful, and dang, folks, her music and lyrics are so good. She really is an enormous talent. Cannot wait for the next project she does that will undoubtedly blow my mind and probably make me laugh out loud. She is my way to go. You nailed it, woman. Enjoy the episode. Well, I used to teach masks and stuff. Yeah. But not like this kind of mask, but they were like, you know. Yeah, like theater work. Theater work masks. Yeah, oh, that's so cool. Um, cool. Well, some people thought it was cool. Some people did. <laughs> Where'd you teach it? I taught, oh, a lot of places like, um, USC, Tisch School of the Arts, the grad program. Yeah. And uh, other uh, places I didn't get in. Pittsburgh. Oh, you didn't get in? No, I wanted to go to Tisch so bad. I ended up at DePaul, which was good. Oh, man. You are perfect for Tisch. That's, I think I wasn't, uh, I, I don't know, maybe I, I, I wasn't grounded enough or something. Or I didn't seem serious enough. I mean, now that, you know, you're meeting yeah, yeah. me now, I'm like more myself. I think I'm only now becoming myself. Really? Yeah, which is kind of depressing, but I think no, true. No, that's cool. No, I don't know if it's cool. Tell me about why you are saying now I've become myself. Um, you know, I think I just found a way to kind of like funnel my personality through the work in a way that feels authentic and not like I'm putting on some weird mask, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there's a way, I, I really respect actors that are totally transformative, but that's never been me. And so when I was really trying to like contort and change and blah, it felt really just not, it just didn't feel comfortable and it wasn't me. And now I think I found a way to just kind of like filter me through what I'm trying to do. Yeah, that makes yeah. a lot of sense. Did you train as a dancer first? I wonder if that's You know, why. I did, but it was my, I was really pushed to perform in yeah. Ohio, right? I yeah, grew up yeah. I was born in Akron, Ohio. Yeah, I know, yeah. And, uh, so yeah, when I was two and a half, I was like in ballet class. And, but I have a major scoliosis. Mm. I know my mother never told me. That's why I never got picked to go with the ballet companies or whatever. Like all my friends would go and I would just felt so like, what's wrong? Oh. <laughs> I'm doing my best. Yeah. But if she hadn't pushed me, maybe I wouldn't have, you know, I, I think it was good for me to do that much movement. Yeah. Once I started acting, which was about eight, doing classes and stuff. That I, I loved it. So anyway, how about you? You, I, I've read you loved performing. Uh, once, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's great. <laughs> yes, I was always like a choir kid, you know, and yeah, I, I did dance as well. I was never, I was also never picked, but I don't know why. I didn't have scoliosis, so I don't know why. I think I just didn't practice enough. <laughs> I think that really? was my problem. What were you? Yeah. What, what types of dance did you? Do? Um, I started in tap and jazz, and yeah, I probably like have hung on to the most 
tap out of anything. Me too. It's like drumming. It is, yeah. I'm uh, a drummer as well. Uh, I think that's why I can kind of do both. I mean, that's one of my favorite pastimes is just, you know, yeah. have, have someone playing some music and then I'm tap. I'm just improvising tap dance. It's yeah. like drumming. I wish I'd been a drummer. That would have been cool. I bet you could pick it up right now. It would take you two weeks to get like a couple basics and then you could really? hang with most, most easy like rock combos. Yeah. Everything I've read about you, I've gone, oh yeah, this is who I wanted to be. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Well, no, no, you, no, it's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. And I, uh, first of all, we're both Pisces. When's your birthday? March 2nd. Ah, <laughs> cute. Oh my gosh, just like six days away. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then we we both did choir. What was your favorite hymn? Oh, you know, I didn't do like traditional choir. They tried to do like, uh, you know, I think we sang like uh, 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 Daydream Believer and stuff like that. Like oh, they took yeah, like 60s that. and 70s tunes and arranged them for like a, a choir of nine women to sing. Oh, wow. I'd love to hear those. Yeah, it was kind of fun. It was a yeah. little... I think I was bursting out of my skin a little bit trying to be like fun and funny. It was a little serious for me, but I like to sing. Taught me to harmonize, you know. And, you know, I really do love your music. Oh, thank you. Now That's I have so to kind. tell you, but I, now they're sold out of the albums. I wait. You bought a vinyl? Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I tried to. Juneteenth, unbelievable. Really, really great. Thanks. Really great. And then the other one, dinosaur. Really? You like that one? I, you oh, know what you do when it goes into that high vocal thing? Yeah. I think that harmony, there's something about it that's very um, hypnotic. I loved it. Oh, thank Dream -like you. Dreamlike part of it. Yeah. There's a dinosaur in the house. I mean, that's just, <laughs> it's really great. Oh, I really appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I, I wrote those with um, Bethany. Uh, Bethany Thomas. Yeah. My... How did you and Bethany meet? We met in a band. Well, actually, we met in a musical. We met doing The Life. <laughs> Do you know Cy Coleman's The Life? It's a little, it's a rarely done. On Broadway, it was Lilius White, and I'm forgetting the other folks, but um, it's about sex workers who are trying to get out of the business, whatever. And it takes place in the 70s. And so we did like a storefront production of it in Chicago back in like 2008. And mm. we played the two lead roles. And Bethany has the biggest and most varied and personality-filled voice I've ever heard in my life. Wow. She can do anything. I just came from watching her sing a bunch of like Sondheim tunes wow. at Ravinia in Chicago. And I'm like, I'm constantly impressed by her. But she, uh, we just discovered that we had like a cool blend. And then we discovered that we could be really great, great friends. Then she got me into like a bunch of rock bands that she was singing with. And so she has maintained a career in musical theater while I sort of haven't, but we still come together to make like, you know, kind of more like rock and pop and folk music. That's so cool. Hey, by the way, another thing we have in common we were both raised Catholic. Mm. Um, we both love camping. You do? Oh, my God. I was a Girl Scout. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, cool. I got my curve bar, 36 merit badges. Oh, yeah. Hell, yeah. And it was like trees, outdoor cooking. I mean, they were stupid. It was like pets. It's like <laughs> if you fed your pet, you got a badge, right? You got a badge for feeding a pet? Yeah, I know. It, it's really pretty sad. Man. I mean, I guess it's good it's encouraging, like, chores. Well, and... you didn't go to prison for killing your pet. You, know, you got a badge <laughs> instead for just not doing that. Um, no, but I loved camping. I went to Girl Scout camp every summer and mm. canoeing and, and all of that. Um, yeah, there all was... in Akron, right? Yeah, Camp Ledgewood. Yeah, cool. loved it. And then we'd go a couple other places, but um, I love, I do love the outdoors very strongly. My mom did too. And um, I think it's pretty cool that you 
picked the desert, which is like the most beautiful way to see the stars is to live in the desert, right? Yeah. I was uh, I was looking for pine trees. That's funny. I always thought I'd end up in, in pine forest. And I just started looking. I was just looking within a certain number of miles from LA because I knew I'd need to be here for work all the time. Right. And I was looking for a certain amount of land that I really felt like I'd need to spread out. And I looked at every property for probably two or three years that fit that criteria until until my husband. Did you have to do much work on the property? Yeah, it's ongoing. Uh, My husband (laughs) and I say that this house is alive. It is a living organism. Um, (laughs) The climate is like Mars. So it just kind of can't be left unattended. Like something's going to be destroyed by the wind or we had like really bad fires a couple of years ago. There's just something that's going to go wrong. It's a it's a wild place to live and maintain. Yeah, but you're so lucky, and that's great. You have a place to recharge. Uh, our fans are the smartest, nicest. I mean, we really love them. But there are times you just need a break from the business. And for me, I have a little place in France. I got a really? place that was in a tiny medieval village. It's no chateau. It's just this little cool place, but it's like, it was my hidden place, you know, and it took me 16 years to do the work on it. It's always ongoing. Yeah. But but it's, I love who I am when I'm there. Cool. And I think that helped me to sort of blend this thing of, you know, who am I in L.A. as opposed to who am I there. And I, yes. I think it is odd that it's taken me this long in my life, but I feel now I'm more blended than I than I have ever been in a way. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Do you feel... Um, because I, I have so many questions about, you know, what you bring up about our, our fans being nice and it being lovely to be part of this world. There's also the feeling of like, because I love these fans, I want to give so if I have an encounter, I want to give my whole self and I don't want to be shut off and weird. And so I'm excited to give that. And I, I, I need, so then I need the space to recharge. As you pointed out, I wonder I, I can't imagine what that was like for you doing so many seasons and my face isn't even on the damn thing. You right, know, right. your your whole face and your, what hair. When I met you, I said, you're the hair of a generation because you really were. That's got to be so di- different. You're a walking billboard. Well, I, I think the for me, the biggest difference was I, I wasn't familiar with the original show even. I had seen the posters. I lived in New York City for like 22 years mm-hmm. and um, was doing theater and teaching and working at Lincoln Center Institute and stuff. And I I just didn't watch TV, you know, because you were always mm-hmm. doing a play at night. So that was fine. And um, I was scared of fans. That's the truth. Mm-hmm. Because what happened in the beginning was I had been stalked when I was a teacher in the University of Pittsburgh, seriously stalked. It took me years to talk about it, but I finally am talking about it for the last like five years. Wow. And so, so I was like really worried about being in the public eye. Okay, I thought he was going to show up again. But once I got rid of being so, because I was really protective. And I also was trying to, like, who do the fans want me to be? I want to be who they want me to be. But I didn't really know myself enough to just be who I was because I was a transplant from New York. And you have managed really well being like the Chicago feeling because that New York was what you talk about for Chicago. That was kind of mm. what New York was for me. Mm-hmm. And I felt those people in New York know me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Those are my people. You yeah. know, I mean, fans these days are the absolute sweetest. And clearly, it's what they are projecting onto us, just like, you know, what we project onto people we mm-hmm. want to meet. And it's really important to meet each other and just be a person and have a connection. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah, that's, oh, that's so interesting. Um, 
yeah, you didn't. You don't want the glitz. You want to be at your little your little spot in France. You want to be at your tiny yeah, little village. <laughs> I want to be. Well, I, it's like I feel I know the things that I can do well now. I love to mentor. Mm-hmm. Um, I love to try things I haven't done. Mm-hmm. And that you also said that you were someone who likes to dabble in a lot of things. And yeah, <laughs> you seem like you're not someone who's too afraid to fail. No. No, Second City uh, cured me of that. I, <laughs> you know, doing comedy in front of 300 strangers, eight shows a week and and failing a good chunk of that for years and years really teaches you that nothing in this business is going to kill us. I've I've bombed so hard with jokes and characters and things that I've loved so much and just knew we're going to succeed and then to just bomb so spectacularly. And then, you know, you go home, you eat some nachos, you go to bed, like you don't, you don't die from right. it. And once I learned that, once I really learned that in my bones, like this business cannot really take away anything from me other than what I give to it. So, oh, that's extraordinary. I yeah, I don't think I got to that. Uh, I'm still working on it. I mean, it does. No, but I think I think you really new things do challenge me sometimes for sure. But like that feeling of like I'm gonna try this thing, and if it doesn't go well, oh well. Well, that's one of the greatest things about the clown thing because yeah, it, it is built on failure. You cannot do it if you don't understand failure, because mm. out of failure comes the success, comes the, the, you know, you have to understand that vulnerability. And it's interesting to me because when I was teaching, especially in the beginning, um, and I'm talking like 40, 45 years ago, you know, it was really hard to get women to um, s- stop worrying about being pretty. Yeah. And they would have a certain type of plan. I'm like, this is just not true. I mean, I know how I was with my best friends. You know, women are hilarious. Mm -hmm. And then I did a a workshop for uh, gay women who were hilarious. And Mm. I think there was something about the male eye on them. Mm -hmm. And then as society changed, you know, and we had computers and I now it's not at all the case. Even when I was teaching at NYU, I mean, women and men equally funny. It was not one or the other. And oh, that's great. Isn't that cool? (laughs) Yeah, it's very cool. I mean, it rings true because there is that feeling of like even when I was starting out in comedy, there there is a fear of not looking attractive or whatever. You know, you don't want to do ugly comedy. I didn't want to do gross things because I was like, oh, no, it's going to be off putting. And then if people don't laugh and I'm not cute then what am I as a woman, as a young woman, what am I? Um, and the answer is I'm still my damn self. And it's, and you tried something. So you were brave. Like I, yeah, it, it took me a minute to get over that too. Cause we're conditioned, you know, we want to be liked. Absolutely. Yeah. That's wanting it. to be liked is like the death of comedy. I, I think it's the death of most things. Actually. Yeah. Right. Honestly, it's the death of most things, including relationships. I mean, you, it really, but it's a tricky thing that keeps rearing its, you know, ugly head. Yeah. Where did you get though this? Because it takes a certain kind of strength um, to not be so afraid of failure. I mean, obviously, I get it. Second City, that's just developing the muscle, yeah. right? Yeah. But um, it was beaten into me. <laughs> but f- talk about like your mom and dad. I've I don't mean go through the whole story, but like what what was mm. something that was a really positive, strong uh, memory of you and your dad just alone? And then another, what's one with your mom that, that was something where you either saw their character and went, wow, you know, mm-hmm. um, or you felt they particularly nurtured you in a moment or? Yeah, you know, my parents are really strange, lovely people who are very different from each other and very different from me. <laughs> but what I think I got from both of them equally was uh, a, a fierce sense of, self and self-righteousness, which sometimes isn't great, but it does make me, if I, if I believe that I am 
uh, right in, you know, how I should be treated, how people I love should be treated. Uh, there is nothing that will stop me from, you know, making sure that that happens. So I can be a really great, fierce defender of both myself and of other people. And I think that is great. It also <laughs> has probably got me on some some producers' lists of <laughs> do not hire ever again. I, I know you must know this struggle, but it's like, I, I can't, this business is, it's so easy to abuse us. We're, we're the most flexible yeah. piece in the whole machine, right? Yeah. So it's so easy for even nice people to accidentally not treat us the way we oh, should Absolutely. Be. And I think, um, I think though it has changed enormously. And you know, it's funny because I've, I've talked about this with a couple of people. I think there's a difference that I notice in all the Star Trek stuff. And I think it's the younger producers. Mm -hmm. I think there's an openness mm -hmm. that I did not feel um, earlier. I felt, um, and it was it was hard because I came from, you know, academia, and as well as acting on the stage in New York, and everybody kind of treated you equally in a way. I mean, it was mm -hmm. like different, and and I, um, I was very surprised and taken aback, and I think I fought harder than, uh, I think I made some enemies by just sure. being. Um, like, wait a minute, what, what? Yeah, asking for how, what you need. Yeah, how does this work? I mean, yeah, I was, um, I think now people are able to find out information mm -hmm. with computers. I mean, we didn't have, laptops happened during Star Trek, the shooting of Star Trek. Someone uh -huh. from Apple came and three of us bought, wow. you know, the the first laptops. It, it was like, I'm not saying the very first, but we were in that first group. Sure. And when you think about the difference of information, you can find out how to do anything on YouTube. Yeah. But, but you you know, that didn't exist before. So I think you also felt like, ooh, maybe I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Huh? Yeah, because you didn't have the support maybe. And then you also didn't feel like you could just like look something up yourself. Did you feel like you could? So you, you didn't always feel like you could approach producers. I, I mean, I still feel like that with Oh, I things. did. And I got into trouble. I got <laughs> I got let go. I got let go uh, yeah. second season. Yeah. yeah. I I complained about the script. I complained about certain things that I thought were sexist or racist. And I, and, and not in a, I didn't think it was in a bad way. I, th I thought it was in a way that, I mean, I've directed, yeah. I, I was an artistic director. People complained to me, you, you take, yeah. you know, it's like, I know they just want it to be good. Right. We you all know, want it's like, I don't think better. They, they, yeah. they don't want to tear me down. They're just saying this could be better. Like, what yep. about this? What about that? But, um, it was both that I didn't know how to do it. Um, nicely yeah i guess and um and also that it was a different time and yeah. i i do feel though that it's it's a much i mean your producer mike is so great on the oh lower decks what a mensch yeah. i mean and funny and just everything so open yeah. it really is lovely and and really all of them you touched on it i you know i i recently texted alex kurtzman we were talking about something unrelated to lower decks and you know, we've had a lot of conversations this year about a lot of things with the franchise because I care about it so much and because, you know, they've given me uh, such access from hosting the official podcast to like various hosting things. They've given me just so much access and it's such a privilege to be able to represent that. And so when things are like a little off or when things could be better, I'm really coming at it from a place of like, I want this to be great and I want people to feel as welcomed into this as I always did, whatever. But I recently texted him like, you know, there's so many producers that say, hey, if you ever need anything or want to talk, my door is open. Uh, how many of them mean it, Gates? Right, right, how many of them really right. actually want you to hit them up? And how many of them are going, oh my God, this chick again. But 
Alex means it. And so I was like, I'm thrilled. So many producers say my door is open and I'm so thrilled to find out you're the dude that means it because that's rare. That's really cool. Yeah, no, I was, I, I don't know him well at all. I, I mean, I saw him at Comic-Con and he, I was impressed with him. He's, he's an impressive man and yeah. I, I really feel he's done the franchise very well. Um, I think he and the other producers there respond to the people like us who are like, hey, hey, we're passionate and we're annoying and we're insistent. It's because we want it to be good. <laughs> yeah. We want it to be good. And, don't fire and it me. is good. It Use is so me. good. And it can even keep getting better and better because the world evolves and yeah. we evolve. And and that's fantastic. Um, so let's just do a quick, I want you to be thinking about this in the back of your mind. Okay. Uh, you're going to give me a, we're going to do two truths and a lie. Okay. So you're going to come up with um, two truths and a lie. Okay. 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 Great. Okay. And I'm going to come up with one, too. Okay. I've planned mine, though. Oh, you've planned yours. Okay, yeah. so I'm improvising mine. Okay, yeah. you want me to go first? Yeah. Okay. I like to make it hard on you. No, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Um, okay. Um, I grew up riding rodeo events competitively. Um, I've never been to West Virginia. I... Like, wait, wait. Grew up riding See, I always get confused. <laughs> yeah, two truths and a lie. Right, right, right. I grew up riding competitive rodeo. I've never been to West Virginia. I love tomatoes, but I can't eat them because I have a small allergy. Well, I know you've done rodeos. See, you researched. You, this well, is cheating. I, I, you know, hey, it's the least I can do is the way I look at it. Okay. Um, I didn't get into too much of your eating habits, but I'm <laughs> guessing um, you've never been to West Virginia. Uh, yes, that is. Wait, no. That's a lie? No, that one's a lie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard when I do the never, and I'm like, wait, what? No, I've been to That's every a state. That's yeah. a lie. Okay. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. You've been to every state. Yeah, every state. Oh, man. For a long time. See, this no is why way. I tripped myself up. For the longest time, West Virginia was the only one I've never <laughs> been to. And I used to say, I've never been, the only state I've never been to is West Virginia. And wow. now that's the lie. So I really, I chose a complicated thing for myself. <laughs> that's funny. And then you can't eat tomatoes, even though you love them. I know. I still eat them though, but it's bad. I know. See, I have a gluten and dairy and major allergy. Yeah. With migraine headaches and everything. And Do you I dabble cheat occasionally? I, well, I'll cheat occasionally. I mean, yeah. you know, come on when I'm in France and there's like, okay. But, um, <laughs> okay. So here's mine. <clears throat> Two truths and a lie. Okay. Directed The Women of Trichus, directed Crack Whore Galore, directed Cabaret. Okay, the first two are, see, because I would be like, of course she's directed Cabaret. Of course, you're, you're perfect to direct Cabaret. So maybe that's the lie. Is that the lie? That's the lie. Ah, <laughs> I did it. I did it. I tried to do some psychological yeah, yeah. Good. gymnastics. Very good. All <laughs> right. Why have you never done cabaret? You know, because I actually, well, it's, it is like probably my favorite musical, but, um, it, you know, I was not really into just doing choreography for the sake of choreography. Okay. I really was into developing new works. So like when I did the theater, I took all my Star Trek, um, memorabilia money. Yeah. I sold it all <coughs> and I built a theater in Atwater Village. Oh, cool. And um, and I got to develop new work. That's what I wanted to do. Yeah. I'm really interested in new work. And Crack Court Galore was 
like the first thing we did in the new theater. Oh, and wow. It was hilarious. <coughs> really funny. It was like an obscene and funny late night music rock sketch show. Oh, it fun. It was really great. Um, yeah. Do you love new work because you like the like uh, malleability of it? Do you like kind of being able to have a stamp on it? I think it's more about discovery. I don't think it's about having my stamp. It's like I will look at something like Women of Trachis. I, okay, I knew I had to direct something. I was that Brandeis. I was like on my slate. You have to direct a show, and I just was reading. And I, from the first monologue, I had this strong image and dream, and I just it just kept going from there. And I went, okay, this is something I'm drawn to. Yeah, you know, you're drawn to your own issues very often. Yeah, right, always. So I think it's that, and, and that's when I'm happiest when yeah. I'm in process with something. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's heaven. Really, it's so, so wonderful. Yeah. Um, and some things work, some things don't. Uh, but the process of it's really cool, yeah. Can I ask you, as in your acting career, did you ever, how did you handle, first of all, did you feel you got pigeonholed and how did you either push against that or lean into that? Did you, did you choose either path? In New York City, when I was doing theater, I never got pigeonholed. Right. I did. I did really, really great characters, all different types. Cloud Nine, uh, mm. you know, Pinter, uh, just new plays. It, it was great. Um, it was after I came to and did um, Beverly Crusher. I kept getting like the smart doctor or the mm -hmm. lawyer, and so I. I think the pigeonhole thing. It, it had started to happen, but then it was kind of over. And it was when I was asked if I would be artistic director. And I went, you know, that's what I've wanted to do for mm. decades is not because it's me just in charge, but I can actually go with people who inspire me. Mm -hmm. Like I got to choose my associate artistic director and and we're really close friends now, but I didn't know her. I just thought she was talented and smart. Yeah. But for you, that's interesting. You found yourself pivoting, pivoting careers entirely. Yeah, entirely. And actually cool. feeling so at home. So what are things that you fear? I don't mean like spiders and stuff, but I mean like what are things you you fear that thing of getting pigeonholed? Yeah. I, oh, I'm feeling it already. I've already had to say like I can't I can't be the capable, grounded, straight mm. man next to all these very funny men anymore. I can't do it. I'm just, you know, Good I'm for you. I'm I'm funny and fun and lively. I'm, you know, I I don't know. It's just it's so easy to take someone who looks and kind of stands like me and just have have dudes bounce jokes off of me, which is fine. You know, I've been very grateful for the roles I've gotten, but no, I've done I, that. I hear you. I hear you. It's no, time to move it. on. The thing, though, in your relationship, it's very clown, the uh, relationship in the lower decks to mm -hmm. me, because, yes, you are the straight, but, you know, in clowns, there's the clown A and clown B. Yep. Okay. So you've, you've, you know I've this. done a little clown in college. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Was, like, one of my favorite female clowns was this, this woman who's, now she's like one of the top doctors at Mass General in psychiatry, which was very close to clowning, by the way. Mm -hmm. But she had a clown named Pinky. And Pinky was such a boss and mean, but she always had her obstacle. She had these pink pedal pusher pants that were always falling down, exposing her pink bikini underwear. They were tied in a certain <laughs> way. And, and literally, she couldn't even control when they would fall, fall down. And so there was always that. this thing. There's a, a genius part in you that has something in that realm somewhere. Mm -hmm. Or like, you know, if Pinky was doing an improv and she was she owned the restaurant and uh -huh. 
basically the whole thing was not about making money with the patrons. It was about controlling her underlings, the waiters. And if they served a guest a portion of spaghetti on the plate that was too large, Pinky would take a handful of pasta off of the plate right in front of the guest and put it in her purse. Like, yeah. that's too big of a portion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Like a hyper-competent chaos a little bit. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I think you're right not to want to just be the, the straight to a funny guy. You really are in a position where you should expand your roles. Just as long as it's funny. Good Lord. Give exactly. me, like, <laughs> let me be funny, damn. I spent so long. Second City stole my oh, you youth. you are funny. I'm trying so hard. <laughs> no, you are funny. <laughs> thanks, thanks. Yeah, no, you're very funny. And what you I'm do bad. with your voice is awesome. Yeah, that's honestly why I'm so grateful for Mariner and why I'm so grateful to do it in live action finally because that is the role that I'm like, oh my God, that's what I've been bursting out of my skin to play. Cool. kind of weirdo maniac who is still competent, but like, you know, it's chaos. What was a big disappointment? Have you had a big disappointment in your life? A big disappointment? Um, hmm. There were a couple of houses and properties that I really, uh, so Nate and I are, we're child free. We've never wanted children, but I've always wanted a home. And so in those few years when I was really looking for this space that is so necessary for my brain and heart, there were a couple places that felt like a child to me. I was like, this mm. is the ha- this is it. This is the thing mm. I'm going to love for the rest of my life. And then to not get it. And this was before all the crazy um, real estate stuff. Now, this was like four or five years ago. So to not get those places really felt like something had been taken from me, which is nuts. No, but, it didn't that's, in- but that's interesting. It's bringing up something. So yeah. what, what, what were the things that you just like had adored about them? Um, so there was this place in this small ski town called Wrightwood that's like an hour from L.A., and the town itself is like cute and fine, but it's nothing special. But um, this house had these like really, per- it was perfectly like open. And I just imagined all my friends and all my loved ones gathering around mm. at Christmas, just in this open space. It had eight acres, it backed up to the national forest. Oh, wow. And I just remember being like, this is the exact type of like solitude and freedom that I need. Cause that backing up to the forest like that, to me signified freedom. Cause I could just put on a backpack and go for right. miles, right? right? I love stuff like that. The freedom yeah, um, to get lost. The freedom to, you From know. From my back door. Can you yeah. imagine that? Like That's just, fantastic, yeah. I, I have that now in a very different way, but I remember thinking that place was, I remember thinking it was mine. And then when it was hmm. not, it, it, was, it was wild to feel like this item had been taken from me when I'm like, nobody owed me that house. I just assumed I was going to get it. There was something that took me to France, and part of it was getting out of L.A. Mm. Again, I didn't want my child to just grow up so I couldn't let him down the end of the driveway. Mm. And it was great, you know, and I could get lost because people didn't know Star Trek there. They, oh, they, yeah. They, they didn't. It, you had uh, now it's been on Netflix and stuff, but before, nobody knew. Now it's totally like everywhere, but it was pretty rinky-dink. And they were had this small intermarché, the supermarket, and they had a cafe in it. And I saw my, my son went, Mommy, Mommy, that's you. And I looked over and there was a Star Trek pinball machine. <gasps> and I went, wow, that is weird because they don't even <laughs> have it here. And so when, on our way out, I went up to the guy and I said, hey, so what's this? Because I didn't, no one ever recognized me, right. ever. Right. Um, and he went, oh, I don't know. It's just some stupid, stupid thing. I asked for Star Wars and they sent me this. Ah! <laughs> 
<laughs> that was so perfect. It just was humbling right then and there. You're like, and oh, that was my okay. my face is on it. <laughs> on and he it. has no connection. He didn't connect it no, at all. No connection. Oh Listen, I've been on an airplane in in first class <laughs> with every single cast member. Uh-huh. And I'm sitting next to Brent. Mm-hmm. And the stewardess goes around and gets every single person's autograph. And she comes up and she gets Brent and then and then she takes it back and Brent says, wait, don't you want hers? And and she said, oh, sure. Yes, Mrs. Spiner, please sign it. <gasps> and so oh. I signed it. Love you, Mrs. Spiner. <laughs> but I mean, oh, I could be perfect. standing with him. So it was hilarious. That is perfect. Love you, Mrs. Spiner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That is I, that's infuriating. <laughs> but also you seem like the type of personality who kind of loves that stuff. Oh, I do. Like, I totally it's do. It's a story. It's good. <laughs> yeah, it was good. It was good. You know, um, the first time I've told this story before, but I think you'll get a kick out of it. The first time I went to um, San Diego Comic-Con, uh, our show wasn't out yet. I didn't have any like big shows on the air. And Jerry O'Connell was so sweet. He offered to take me on the floor because after we did our panel, he was like, you've never been on the floor at Comic-Con. I'll take you on the conventional <laughs> floor. I'm going to show We'll walk through. It's madness. You're going to love it. And so this is, you know, b- before masks, before anything. So this is Jerry O'Connell walking the convention floor. You imagine we get stopped every 10 feet. And so people wanted to take pictures with him. No one knew who I was. So everyone would just hand me their phone. So I was just kind of Jerry's weird, like, assistant oh, taking I pictures. Oh, I love it. So if you have a picture from Comic-Con in, like, 2018 or whatever, I probably took it. Oh, hilarious. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Okay. Is there a lesson that you've had to learn over and over again in your life? Oh, um, to uh, do less, literally and physically. You too? Oh, my God. You too? Mm. Yeah. Just to, to, to schedule less, to, 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 I'm, I'm most at peace when I have time, when I can go back up the mountain and sit for two days. I have to put on my calendar sometimes, like, do not interrupt, no interrupt for mental health. Like, I have to write those words so that I know. Because I'll just, I'll just, yes, 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 again, more, more, more. Because I accidentally learned once that saying yes to a, a staged reading of a friend's play 10, 15 years ago is where the folks from Second City saw me and asked me to join Second City. That changed my life. Right. And, and I've got it in my head. It's like, oh, it's because I said yes to that reading I didn't really want to do. But that changed my life. So I, I say yes to everything as though it's all going to change my life. And I got to stop. <laughs> No, it's well, that's exhausting. it. I mean, I was even th- I was even feeling that way when I was asking people to do the podcast because I'm like the last thing, the last thing, you know, most of us feel like doing is doing another podcast. No, I or love doing- this. No, but I mean, seriously, because if you can't be yourself, that's why I didn't want to do, you know, people have to look good or you're going to be in hair and makeup because it's just like, no, it's not about that. I don't mm-hmm. want to like video it. So it's going to get more 
likes or more people watching it. It's just really about having the encounter. Um, yeah, and I am, it changes it. I, I know it changes it the does. conversation when you put the video on it. People like to think it doesn't, but it I, does. I agree. You, and, you're mm -hmm. too conscious of it, and it just changes the intimacy of the talk. I'm, yeah, yeah. And 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 I also feel like anything someone wants out, I will take out because it's not about an expose. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. I know. I'm always you like, know. I'm not trying to scoop you. I'm just trying no. to. No, I can't take that. Yeah, <laughs> we can't handle that pressure. But it's it's more about actually having an encounter where you you know have fun mm -hmm. and you learn something mm -hmm. you know and and you don't just talk about yourself. That's an, one thing I hear a lot of podcasts, and I'm like, would you let Tony speak? Let Tony speak. <laughs> some some people do love to host a podcast so that they can work some stuff out. And I'm like, you know what? Hey, it's cheaper than therapy. Mics are cheaper than therapy for sure. Although it's these are really nice mics. It's true. All right. When do you do too much? Well, um, I'm involved in a remodel now that I never should have done. But there's something. <laughs> I grew up in my household was we made our house. It took all the way till I graduated from high school for us to finish our living room. Wow. My mother laid the floors. I mean, it was a whole thing. And I could never have friends over because she was embarrassed at how the house was compared oh. to everyone else who lived there, right? So <clears throat> it's part of like being a close family and love has to do with building your house, your home. Of course. It's not about the the bajillionaire houses that you know <laughs> that yeah. you did that series. I yeah, mean, bajillion. it's really it's about that. I want to hear about the series though. Where can I see it? I've tried oh, good to see question. it. Question. Somebody told me something it's off. called Pluto. I think is a free oh. streamer. Pluto, because that sounds hilarious. How did you get involved fun. with that? Um, that was an audition, and I, yeah, it just, uh, it was an all improvised audition, oh, which God. was, you know, I was literally coming from Second City. It was my first job out here, and I, it was oh, very perfect. much, yeah, it was really easy. So at the LA, time to too. Just keep so LA, it. right? Yeah, yeah. I loved it. That that job gave me a lot of opportunities to make friends and be funny, and yeah, that was that was really fun to do. The Jillian Dollar Properties. And I mean, what is going to happen to those huge houses when no one has any money to maintain them? Right. And then what? You know, when you don't have 500 servants yeah. <laughs> who are cleaning it all the time. The upkeep. Yeah. Yeah. The upkeep of these places is enormous. It would stress me out so much. My house is small. My property is big and it, it all stresses me out. I can't imagine one of those huge houses. And don't you love the people on those shows who are like their laundry list of must-haves? And it's like, I got to be near the city, but I got to have 20 acres of solitude, but good school district, but also, you know. Well, getting back to what I do that's too much, I see how I'm always doing just one too many things. Yeah. <laughs> Oof. Yeah. I identify with that. Do you like to cook? I do. Love it. You? I love cooking. What's your favorite dish? Ooh, favorite that dish you make, that you make. <clears throat> a people pleaser. A people pleaser. I've got a good, uh, like a Brazilian moqueca, like a, a seafood stew. Mm. I kind of perfected in the pandemic. That's a people pleaser. And it's not that hard. It sounds hard, but it's, it's kind of a cheater. Very good. Yeah, how about you? Um, I'm a baker and a, oh. a jam maker. Really? I love to make jam. Yeah. See, I'm I'm not a baker. I have like one cake I can kind of do, but baking that's a different it's a different thing. When I was a kid, my mother and I would bake together. And then I would sell it on a small table she'd set up on the sidewalk. It was supposed to be a learning experience of counting change, selling. So, I wanted my son to have the same bake sale experience. And we did it in the Hollywood Hills, okay? Oh. So, I baked these 
like we baked all day, my mom and I. And so he, and he helped, he totally helped, you know. But then we made a little stand for him and he had his cookies mm -hmm. and, and he was there all by himself and we were in the, the bushes so no one could see us because obviously we didn't want him kidnapped. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and he was so proud and he did the change for the first one. And, um, and then he did the second one. And then the first people came back and said, you know, we're going to take them all. And that was not what I wanted, you know. Yeah, we you were, wanted him to have the we, experience. <laughs> and it was the perfect L.A. Right, like, we'll, we'll just take them we'll all. We'll take them all because they're cheaper than if we went to the good bakery down there. I mean, it was right. like, my mother and I was like, well, that was successful. Hey, that was a good lesson in uh, Hollywood Hills economics right there. Your son learned a good lesson and that day. And my son is going, I sold them all, Mom. And You're like, I'm like yeah. yeah, I wanted you to learn how to count change, but okay, this That's is good. good. So, look, some days you'll sell them all. Some days you'll sell none and no one will want them because they're not gluten-free or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Hollywood Hills economics, man. Oh, God. <laughs> um, who are the teachers that you remember the most, good or bad? Mm. Oh, my gosh. There was a woman in college, I won't say her name because I won't give her power, <laughs> that really uh, shook me and made me feel really small and terrible because she was one of those like lead by fear type, you know, the business will crush you, so I'll do it first type person. Oh, <laughs> and it was just so self-important. That was my only critique about <clears throat> DePaul. DePaul, I got a great education, but it was so self-important. And she was like the apex of that. And she was our last year. And she had this attitude of like, I am destroying your ego so that you can go out and be, what, further destroyed by this insane business? I was like, she should have been building us up. Totally. Um, and then I remembered when I realized that she didn't actually hold any power. Because I was like, wait, I'm leaving this school, so this fake hierarchy won't exist for me anymore. And like, you don't really affect things out in this business I'm trying to work in. So you making me feel bad is just, that's all on me at this point. So I get to decide how I feel about this. And yeah, I just good. stopped letting her make me feel bad. And it was really great, but it also, it created a bit of a monster. So she was both a bad influence, but also a delightful influence. And then now I tend to not, I'm really uh, delightfully kind of unafraid of a lot of people. You know, mm. I'm. It, it takes, I can't remember the last person I was like kind of scared of, you know, whether it's like a producer or like some oh, that's intimidating director. It's oh. a little great, but it also, you know, like we talked about, it lets me run my mouth when I probably shouldn't. Oh, uh, yeah, well, <laughs> I can't imagine you running your mouth when you shouldn't, to be honest. But for me, it's a breath of fresh air. I really do think because it's not like you don't listen. Do you listen? You, you know, when you want to push through something. I mean, I, I think you're you're direct, and you know when it's just not worth the effort. I know, mean, yeah, which is a really smart way to be. I think, yeah. Um, but you know what people hate you the most for is if you don't need them. Oh, is that true? Yes. Don't you know that? <laughs> I know you know that. Man, if you send the signal to somebody that you actually don't need their help, that gets you written off subconsciously, consciously, whatever. That gets you written off faster than so anything. Why, and why do you think that is with people? Why do people write you off that way? I mean, one, off, not you. or just Yeah, <clears throat> I, I think because as actors, we're supposed to want and need and we need and we're desperate and, you know, it's a... It's a trope about us, but it also is kind of the way the industry is built. If we didn't need these people, yeah, yeah. what what function do they serve? Yeah, I remember I was reading <laughs> I was reading a book of somebody, an actor who was saying, you know, and they were in the midst of lovemaking, and then the phone rang, and oh my god, I have to get the phone. It might be my agent. Oh my god, I just never was that way. <laughs> 
I would like stay with the lovemaking or stay with the whatever. You yeah, know what I mean? Like it wasn't like, oh, it's my Asian. Oh my God. You know, my life is going to. Yeah. I, I think knowing that you can develop your own work if you want, it's trusting that. Oh, can I tell you something that happened? I had a tough class one year at USC. They didn't get the clown and they just weren't doing the work. I had them pick an instrument and want to try to do a band and, and, and come in as their clown and try to do their, their relationship with their, their instrument. And it just wasn't working. And there was a group of young kids from the neighborhood, like nine or 10 years old, running up and down the halls. They weren't supposed to be there, making noise and just having the best time of their lives. And all of my students had their clown noses on. And with the most impeccable comic timing, one kid came back to the door and he looked in with such beautiful vulnerability and wonder, literally, what are they doing? Mm. And I said, do you want to be in this? And he went, yeah. Ah. I said, okay, you play an instrument? And I just started improvising with him. I did not explain what we were doing. Uh -huh. He was so present, so in the moment, Mm -hmm. It was like a God's gift of showing what it is. And it was beautiful, yet it was funny. And, and he, he, was, he was genius. And, and then yeah. I finally stopped him. Mean, he was part of it. And he was so funny. And everyone was riveted. And he brought everyone together. And I finally then said, okay, we're going to stop. Who are you? You are amazing. Yeah. Thank you. So, you know, and we talked. And he was like 10 years old. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I mean... I think that's what it is, is learning how to just be present. Yeah. And it sounds like that story you kind of illustrated, I think, what I was struggling to articulate before, which is like, imagine imagine if you had a room full of students who weren't there because they needed something from you and instead just because they wanted to be with you. Right. They wanted to learn from you. They wanted it's a whole different thing. to spend time with you. Imagine what better work we can do. That's why, you know, you joke about people being like, oh, the last thing we want to do is another podcast. It's like, no, no, no. I, I want to do these things. This is what I, I, I choose to spend time with you because I've been watching you on TV since I was a kid and I look up to you and this is cool to get to talk to you, you know? That, I don't know. We, we're going to do better work when we when we want to be there as opposed to like, well, what's going to move the needle? Should I go? Exactly. You know? Exactly. It's not going to be as good. Because your heart's not in it in the same way. You're not just fully engaged because it's interesting. No. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm, and I'm trying to find ways to apply that to the, the rest of this business because it can be really hard not to just take the things you quote unquote should do and are supposed to do. Yeah. Like, no, no, no. What Want, want. That's what drives the best work. So- Imagine your mother, who I've read about, she seems incredible. Very, no, she does. She's going to dine out on hearing you say that forever. She's going to love it. She seems this. incredible. <laughs> really, what a life. I'm, I'm impressed. Um, I think it's so cool that she has been able to do both her work that she did to make money, mm -hmm. and which was obviously tough. Mm. And then she has this farm and horses. And I mean, that's just beautiful to me. Um, sort of like I can. It's sort of like, you know, L.A. and the forest out there in the desert. You know, there's yeah, part of that, right? I'm a, I'm a more privileged <laughs> version of that for sure, for sure. I love yeah, it Yeah, but there her. is part of that. <laughs> so so let's say that you just found out that um, her, she and your grandmother and her mother and her grandmother okay. all had been in love with a lamp. <laughs> And you'd been doing oh a- Oh my God, your and, delivery on that is perfect. 
Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm okay. there. What sure. would your reaction be on this now? Okay. Um, you know, I'd probably, I'd probably <laughs> resist at first. I'd probably say this seems, can't, I can't do that. But then, you know, I'd probably be like, well, what's the lighting going to be like? I mean, what is there going to be smoke? Uh, I'd ask to see the nightgown. Uh-huh. 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 I'd uh-huh. Have, so I'd have notes about like the production of it. But I, I think I'd, I'd have to be all in. You can't oh buck tradition. God. <laughs> I mean, I mean, seriously, seventh season. OK, seventh season. Incredible. And I have predicated my entire character on this other whole. <laughs> it was it was so funny. Like if there had been an on another kind of a show, it would have been hilarious. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, because literally the last, the last lines are, Oh my God, you have the lines here. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I'll ask you. That's, uh, that's what's coming up. That's why I'm prepping this. Um, so my last line, <clears throat> I looked at the script. So I'm saying to Troy, it's strange. I was about to be initiated into a very unusual relationship. I guess you could call it a family tradition. And there's a part of me that's a little sad. How so? I reread the entries in my grandmother's journals. Whatever else he might have done, he made her very happy. (laughs) (laughs) What did you do in the table read? When when you got that script? We did not have a table read. Okay. Yes, yes. And... (laughs) I mean, I, I think I was in shock. I, I was basically, and the thing is, is I loved Jerry who wrote this. I mean, she was trying to give me an episode. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And it just, I, I, there's so many things that are like so silly. Like I, yeah. I'm telling, you know, I tell Riker when I realize this, he goes, you know, just turn off all the weather something systems, you know, and he goes, I'll explain later. I say, no one's going to explain turn everything off without an explanation. Right, right. And he says, okay, absolutely. It's like, it was, now I absolutely love that this episode happened. But at the time I was like, wow, this is so, this is like, uh, as the world turns or something. I mean, it it, It must have seemed bananas at the time. Totally, totally. So here's a question. Have you ever, in any show you've ever done, had a line that you really had trouble saying? There's a word that I don't think I've ever convincingly said on camera and voiceover. It's the word crap. Do, crap. Look at look at my mouth when I say crap. Do I look like a person who says that word? I, I could look buy at it. this crap. I would just say, look at this shit. Oh, I or see look, shit. Look at this mess. Like I I, I see. Like it's like either swear or don't. It's the halfway. <laughs> And so whenever crap is in a line in a script, I'm always like, this won't, it won't come out of my mouth right. (laughs) It just won't. I either am doing like a hard Midwest because I spent so long in the Midwest that I'm I'm like, crap. They said crap all the time. Yeah, but I didn't. You didn't. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So crap, crappy. I think there was one time in the show Brockmire where they wanted me to say like, oh, this all just feels so crappy. And I was like, can I just say this feels shitty? Can I just say this feels bad? If you don't want to swear, it's fine. Wow. Interesting. I'll I'll, I'll do your, I'll do your, um, I'll dub your crappies for you because I'm good at crap. Yeah. Oh, that sounded really natural. Didn't that sound natural? Yeah. You sound normal. Yeah. What does Nate think you're very eccentric about? Hmm, What am I eccentric on? I guess I'm really, because we live on the mountain, I'm kind of a a, a feral mountain person in that uh, when people come to the property, you have to cross uh, a neighbor's property to get to ours. Mm-hmm. So if you're not coming to our house and there's nothing past us, if you're not coming to our house, you, you're not supposed to be there. And so I get very like, 
who who's on my land kind of old man <laughs> with a stick standing at the top of the hill. Like I'll see a car coming because we can see for miles and miles. I'll see a car coming for miles and I'll stand up with the binoculars and I'm like, I wonder who that is. Maybe I should hop in the car and go down and see if they're lost or see, you know, and I'm not always like antagonistic, but I am like, well, let me make sure they, they know where they're at. It's your nest. It's my nest. I'm yeah. very protective and I'm very like, well, I'll be the one to tell them that this road dead ends and they should turn around because otherwise they're going to run into our neighbor, John. And and Nate's just like, just let people go on drives. Just let them. <laughs> Who cares? And I'm like, well, they should know. <laughs> so I don't know if that's eccentric or that. paranoid, but <laughs> yeah, it might be a little of both. That's very funny. It's very funny. But yeah, it's definitely something my husband thinks I could do with less of. So if you could choose one of the fabulous Trek technologies, mm -hmm. um, a replicator, transporter, mm -hmm. tricorder, or holodeck, you could only have one. Mm. Which one would you want? When I was a kid, I used to think I wanted the holodeck. Mm. But now, have you ever done like VR stuff? Yeah. We have it. I, yeah. yeah. I'm like, I, I don't I don't want it as much. Yeah. I want to really go the places. Yeah. So I think I've changed. I think so. I think I want the transporter. Yeah. Right? Me too. In the beginning, I wanted the replicator. Sure. But <laughs> but, but I, I think, uh, yeah, I think that that was a waste of, of choice. Yeah. I think uh, just get the transporter. Yeah. Go wherever you want. Wouldn't real it be fast. amazing? Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if, if though the energies, if everybody starts transporting, it would, it, there are going to be some, some problems. Yeah. You know that. Yeah. But, I really but, hope it's not going to be like terrible for the environment. You know, like we hear yeah. about these 10 minute private jet flights and stuff. I hope once we get the transporter thing figured out, I hope they figured out the greenness of it. Yeah. Oh God, it's so scary now with all the fires everywhere. And oh my lord. I know, because I want to be able to zip over to your place in France. Yes. And not have burned down a rainforest oh, to do it. God, I know. It's like amazing. I know it's true. <laughs> oh, you'd love France. You would love. This oh my place. gosh, I love all of France. I love France so much. What's so great is that you know, people would just you know my my girlfriends will knock on the window you know and I can hear them and I'll come and they'll say. You want coffee? You know, we have coffee. Yeah. It's just, it's a, it's great because I'm not going to be bothered by people I don't know. Mm -hmm. And it's really like Jean de Florette. I don't know if you know that movie. It's really like, it's like the village, the bad, there's factions in the village. And mm -hmm. there really are in this little village. It's hilarious. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's great because it, it's sort of um, so different from where I am here, where you're, you know, it's a big city and yeah. no one really cares. Uh, it's a different different thing there. Like they can, you can smell what someone's cooking for dinner because it's this little place. Oh, but, but I love, I love, I love being there, and I, it's really close to this beautiful walks and nature and everything. And I like speaking another language. Do you speak another language? Yeah, I speak like passable Spanish. I speak functional Spanish. <laughs> oh, that's great. I'm trying yeah. to learn. I mean, really, you can't live in LA without learning Spanish. It seems to me. That's, yeah, that's why I learned. I grew up in California, and then I lived in Chicago, which are like, you know, yeah. You gotta, you gotta know. But it's a really wonderful thing. It's also very humbling when people, when you first are trying to communicate, and people talk to you like you're stupid, you know, because mm -hmm. your vocabulary is pretty stupid. Yeah. And but it's good to, to realize just how quickly things can turn in our lives. We think we're so together, and then one little thing happens, and whoa! Yeah. You know, who am I? Yeah. <laughs> and I like having to work hard in another language. I like having to work to express myself because, like, I'm pretty good at expressing myself quickly in English and. That's kind of an easy thing for me, all the improv and stuff. So it's nice to have a, a barrier where you're like, wait, I really have to be intentional. Um, I really want to hang on to what you said earlier about your place. You said you love who you are when you're there. Yeah. I just want to like remember that because that's really, that's beautiful and that's something to strive for. 
Well, I haven't always liked who I am. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. I'll go, why did I say that? Why, who am I trying to prove? What, mm -hmm. what, what, just be yourself. You know, and it's just this defensive reaction. Yeah. And it's off-putting to people, as it should be, you know, because you're not being authentic. Yeah. But it's also hard because it's, you know, we are very vulnerable and, and people are can be very cruel. So yeah. we're protecting ourselves. But there, I do feel a freedom and I can say, no or yes or i can talk to somebody and it's just it's like every encounter can be as if you're sitting next to someone interesting on a plane mm -hmm. you know and people always surprise me there is so much kindness if you are open to it and there's also so many assholes it's yep. just it's <laughs> unbelievable it's, it's like, you know yeah but, but it's kind of interesting all of it yeah and Even I love observation. Asshole. I guess what I miss the most in what's happening for me is I don't feel that ever since I've come to LA, I never get to use improvisation. Only when I'm teaching, basically. Oh my gosh. And that's really sad to me, you know, because that's, you're so alive when you're improvising. Yeah. Yeah, it's like jumping off a, jumping off a building and just knowing like- Exciting. There's a there's gonna be a parachute somewhere. I'll grab it from somewhere. Yeah. Now I want to get you in like a a cool weird streaming comedy where you get to improvise most of your lines. Oh man, see I would love that. Yeah. Well, that that gives me the next thing to write and pitch is our like hacks like uh, oh, yeah, <laughs> wacky neighbor comedy about two <laughs> two weirdos who live in a tiny village in France who have to I don't know maybe there's an art heist I don't know we'll work out the yeah we'll details. work it out. Okay, so winding down, I think it's time to talk about um. Crushing on Idris Elba. Oh, on Idris. Ever, does everyone have a crush on him? Well, it's gorgeous. pretty hard not to. But what I thought you were going to say Alexander. Have you heard me talk about how my first crush yes, was Julian yes, Bashir? Yes. So but I'll take, I mean, here's the thing. What is it about <laughs> him in particular? I know what it is for me. But what is it for you in particular? Um, I think you probably heard me say that on a podcast when I had just finished watching The Wire all the way through. I watched it years <laughs> late. Oh, I watched the first. Oh. Uh, I was I was definitely late to it. I had a bunch of DVDs and I burned through all of them. And I was like, this is the hottest man alive. Stringer Bell is so hot. That's it. That's it. it and it was a perfectly like played character. Um, that show has a lot of problems, but he 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 was pretty perfect in that whole thing. It just sealed the deal when I saw from the distance just watching him walk. <laughs> it's on Luther. Just watching sure. him walk. There are certain people who have a walk and that's it for me it's a i mean hot walk. The, it's a hot walk i mean seriously <laughs> it's a hot walk and and you're like oh i bet they're good dancers yeah oh well <clears throat> did you see the cats movie no did you see cats 2019 no, no. oh I, gates will you do one thing for me <laughs> will you please watch all right all the right. cats movie because okay there's a lot going on there's a lot <laughs> to love <laughs> look i love cats i can i can sing it top to bottom oh my but, god uh, the, the movie's insane because, as we know, the play is insane. The, the movie didn't really do anything so wild that the play hadn't already done in spades. But Idris is in that film. Somehow, he's McCavity. He is somehow, uh, he wears a trench coat and, and then he has like dark cat fur. And at one point in a dance number, he takes off the trench coat and he is at once so naked yet so cat fur covered. It's very disorienting. <laughs> it is not sexy. Okay, that's <laughs> But I want to know how you feel about it. Oh, very interesting. Yeah, there's oh. a lot happening where it's like they took the sexiest man on earth and made him so uncomfortable to look at. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, well, 
you know, that's it. I have loved talking oh, with you, I've girl. I loved this. You are really, really fabulous. You're so cool. I don't even care that if it's a <laughs> podcast or not. I just want to sit and have coffee. <laughs> yeah, no, you're awesome. And I'm really glad that it worked out. But no, this has been delightful. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. All right, we're out. Such a great guest, that Tony Newsom. Just for fun, I recommend you share a few margaritas with her in Vegas next time. This is one of my favorite episodes of Investigates. Since we both now inhabit the ever-growing world of Trek, I hope for many upper and lower deck encounters, as well as fracas in green rooms, music venues, and of course, we'll always have Vegas. Gotta run. Spot has his yearly physical and he's one old kitty cat. Tune in next week for the next episode of Gates McFadden Investigates. Who do you think you are?